or anywhere. Invasive species, invasive species, they all make me feel quite creepy. Didymo, Didymo is what we've got. It's gooey and it's gunky, so it's called rock snot. It's hard to get rid of and it's really, really gross. It looks like it came out of somebody's nose. Invasive species, invasive species. They all make me feel quite creepy. So scrub your boat and check your shoes. Save our lakes from the invasive blues. If you listen and remember what we say in this song, we'll send invasive species back where they belong. Invasive species. Invasive species. They all make me feel quite creepy. Hi, I'm Karen Nelson inviting you to tune in to Maine's Sunday Best beginning next Sunday, January 17th from 2 until 4 o'clock. Join me for an hour of gospel music featuring the sounds of groups like the Mississippi Mass Choir and the Staples Singers and artists like Mahalia Jackson and the Blind Boys of Alabama. And we'll follow that with an hour of music from choral to slightly classical to almost Celtic. I know you'll hear something you like, so join me for Maine's Sunday Best, Sunday afternoons from 2 until 4 o'clock right here on Community. Radio WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill and online at WERU.org. Well, I walk through the valley, the shadow of death. No one Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. It is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU, but you are tuned to WERU online because we are not broadcasting right now. We are having some technical difficulties. We have engineers checking out our transmitter now to see what's going on. In the meantime, tell all your friends to join you in listening to us online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. Good morning. It's the uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 a.m. here at Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 102.9, up to Bangor. Time for Boat Talk here on this radio station. Boat Talk is the uh, call-in show for people contemplating things naval. We are um, off the air right now. No, uh, no more... Um, 
airwaves, but we do have uh, golf streaming going on, too. So if you're listening right now, you're listening on the computer, and you certainly are welcome to give us a call in the Boat Talk. Boat Talk has its uh, two rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, two, uh, two old sailors who uh, on this show are probably the only show on WERU where the hosts will uh, like to uh, bow out whenever they can. He's the punny one, as always. We have with us, too, uh, Captain J.B. Smith of the Ocean Classroom Foundation to uh, tell us some stories and talk about getting kids on the water, which is one of our favorite themes here on Boat Talk. And uh, as usual, though, we're going to go first to our clippings from the local news. What's happening around here, Mike? Yeah, just a couple things um, noted from the uh, last month's local press and, uh, you know, like I say, we, we usually interrupt ourselves anytime anybody calls in. And, J.B., as long as you're sitting here, uh, you know, consider yourself as much a host as a guest, you know. And Thank you. Anything strikes you, just chip right in, you I'll know. give you the phone number right now. You want to write it down. It's kind of an odd one. one 9378 is the number to get into the studio if you'd like to join the conversation. And they just give us a note that, uh, you know, it might work or it might not, but we'd like you to try. So <laughs> that's what we're doing this morning. We call it Boat Talk. And, you know. Yeah, if it doesn't work, give us a call. Yeah, we'll smile right through it. Here's something uh, not really to smile about from, uh, you know, all the local uh, papers. The Cat Ferry, the high-speed catamaran ferry from uh, Yarmouth, uh, which is going sometimes to uh, Bar Harbor and sometimes to Portland, is going to cease operations. They're hemorrhaging. Hemor- hemorrhaging money and not even the subsidies that the Canadian government is uh, putting into it will keep the thing financially viable. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's hemorrhaging money and they can't take care of it with a CAT scan. Oh, he done it again. The um, I had a chance to ride the CAT last, last summer. I uh, delivered a boat down to Halifax and we come back on the CAT and just had a very delightful trip. And it was a very sociable boat. You know, people are, uh, they got these like uh, seats, sort of like um, oh, plastic molded seats. Uh, the whole thing kind of reminds you of a spaceship a little bit, and you only get to hang out on one deck. The only place you can get outside is to go to the back door, and there's just a little narrow catwalk deck. You can look over the uh, wake, and, uh, you know, but everybody is chatty and having an interesting experience. There's uh, wraparound windows at the bow you can stand and look out. And uh, it really was nice. But the thing about that is that, um, well, all the hotels, all the uh, – we saw um, the ferry was late leaving when we got on. There was a uh, caravan of um, – uh, they were toll long campers, but they were antique ones, I believe. And yeah. they were all on a, you know, on a club trip. Yeah. You know, and to get all those guys and the regular motorhomes onto the thing was the big challenge that day. And everybody was just having the time of their lives. And that was their route, you know. And they were going through that place because that ferry and spending a bunch of money. Well, it's an awful lot shorter to take the, the ferry over to Nova Scotia than it is to drive up to New Brunswick and back down again. Not to mention faster. I'm, I'm uh, looking out the window, you know, and I know this I know this shore pretty good. Looking out the window and I'm thinking, what's that? Or uh, And they have navigation screens you can look at. A uh, little television suspended from the ceiling, and I see we're coming up on the Scudic Peninsula. So I look out the window. I see, well, I, oh yeah, Scudic right over there. And and I turn around. I talk to a fella, and I turn around again. And where the heck are we now? Well, we were in Frenchman's Bay. That was Sunken Egg Rock. I had no idea we could get there that quick. You know, 
60 miles an hour. 60, is it? Yeah. yeah. 60, 50. Yeah, 50, 50 something knots, and which is, you know, faster miles right. per hour. And you never go that fast on the schooner, hardly, do you? Not mm. hardly, no. No? <laughs> it's an interesting way to calculate uh, time and distance, so like oh, you say, yeah. uh, you well, know. You can't help but appreciate the people looking at the radars. You know, if you, there's oh. a, uh, I took a cat once, too, and uh, there's a place where you can go and kind of peer into the pilot house. And that's where I spent a lot of time trying to peer over the shoulders of the folks looking at those radars. Yeah. You can imagine 50 knots in the fog. And as far as I know, they never ran over anything they weren't supposed to. Well, so. they did run over a fishing boat but in Yarmouth Harbor. But the fishing boat ran into them, I think. Sort of, That's yeah. what I always heard. You know. Yeah, and that wasn't 50 miles an hour. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, right it was very, very foggy, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Went right between the two hulls or something. Yeah, uh, we used to call that the death zone. I used to uh, hang out on a lobster boat over towards Bar Harbor and—, and being out in front of the thing when it turns around to go to the dock, you get, of course, a really interesting look at the thing as it spins. And when that thing's pointed right at you and you're not far away and <laughs> you're looking down the tunnel in between them, it's, it's like, no, you wouldn't want to be right. in there. Yeah. Well, we've seen that same cat down in Trinidad because we take our boats down that far in the, in the winters, and she runs between Trinidad and Tobago way south. Yeah. It's the cat. It mm-hmm. must be the same boat, I guess. But uh, that would that's and she cranks it up and it's quite something to see do that run down there. Yeah, it's something to hear too. I I remember hearing hearing the boat before I even saw it. Once the boat was probably you know eight ten miles away and I could hear mm. this thunder and then finally looked and I could see the the spray from the boat and I figured out what it was. But right, it's pretty impressive. The, it's got so a great the wake. power that it puts out. Big yeah. rooster tails wake, but but it's an efficient thing. The catamaran design which is uh, kind of a good thing. We've talked on Boat Talk for years about who's going to be the first on the coast of Maine to get catamaran lobster boat, you know, and what are the other boys going to say to him. Uh, <laughs> but when, he's, when he doesn't go to the gas pump nearly as much as those other fellas, what are they going to say to him then, you know? Well, is it true? I mean, those turbines in that cat, to get her going that fast and up on, I guess, some sort of plane must just be really sucking the fuel, though. Right? Well, but I mean, is it more efficient? Than the the old uh, Scotia prints and the I would I would intuitively th- uh, believe so yeah, yeah. Um, but you know I don't have any facts or figures on that you have any catamaran experience you old schooner man you I have been aboard one catamaran at anchor yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's very spacious yeah but I've never been underway on one no I bought a little uh, uh, sailing catamaran twelve and a half foot uh, aqua cat I think it's yeah. called uh, used uh, you know in some and I'll tell you what I that thing's a hoot mm-hmm. it yeah. really is Great so anyway. Fun. And it is fun to go fast when you're sailing a little bit. But anyway, oh, yeah. yeah, we're doing boat talk this morning, talking about uh, stuff that was in the news. You, you uh, hear all this stuff about the University of Maine looking into, um, what do you call them, windmill technology, floating windmill technology, bridges and bags, all the stuff they're doing there. They're also looking into building uh, sea buoys out of composite material and talking to the Coast Guard, doing a feasibility study. And some of the... Uh, well, as the Coast Guard says, nobody's thought about buoys for about 100 years, and we spend a lot of time fixing them and, me- and messing around with them, you know, and they're heavy and they're awkward, and, and uh, they have routine issues that perhaps we could do better. So a composite buoy might weigh less and might wear, letter, uh, wear better, especially uh, they have trouble with them in ice. Mm-hmm. It might not need to be painted if the, if the composite was cast in, in red and green reflective colors. Right. Yeah, and the other one would be uh, maybe they could put a put a flat spot on the bottom so it'd sit on the boat better because these cylindrical buoys tend to roll around mm. and be quite a problem in a seaway, you know, yeah. maintenance wise. I remember seeing a um, 
uh, Hinkley pilot many years ago where they are just starting to have GPSs and they put uh, an offshore buoy, buoy in for their one of their waypoints, foggy, of course. They ran right straight into it. And boy, that buoy really pretty well smashed up the very bow of, of that little pilot. They are big, hard, heavy things. And perhaps if they were a composite, they'd be a little more give to them, a little more boat friendly. I don't know if I want to uh, brag about this, but it wasn't really my fault. We uh, towed a fella into a buoy one time. We were towing a, uh, a uh, old Richardson powerboat we fixed up from Trenton over to uh, Stuban, okay, over to Flanders Bay. And the guy, when you're being towed, you got to steer the the boat that's being towed is very helpful, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say, Captain? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he 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 I guess steered for a while, and as we're coming around this green cannon to Flanders Bay, he looks like he's going to be cutting on the inside of our arc. You know, we're arcing way out around, but he's coming inside the arc, and we're looking back. He's standing right at the wheel. We can't can't talk to him. He's right there. He must see. Boy, he's coming right for it. He nailed it right on the bow, and you should have seen him jump. He was standing backwards to the wheel, turned around looking out backwards. Oh. I won't tell you what else he was doing, but he wasn't paying attention to business, okay? And wasn't he scared because it sounded like a car wreck when, when the boat hit that buoy. Clang! And then it ducked down under the bow and popped up on one side and scraped down. And, you know, didn't really hurt the buoy, only dented the stem. But, man, what a, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend you run into him ever, no. <laughs> So anyway, I'm sorry. We're telling boat stories this morning. The uh, Well, here's uh, from just yesterday's paper, uh, The Fishing Industry in Need of a Boost. There's an obvious uh, um, headline. It was, um, it was Ted Ames, the uh, uh, fellow from Stonington, and who was uh, Aaron Doherty from the Penobscot Bay Resources Center that we had on Boat Talk last summer talking about fisheries permit banking and All right, such. Yeah. And uh, the reason I mention this, uh, this little, just one statistic here. In uh, 2009, 2008, say, um, fish landed in the state of Maine was uh, um, 60% less than we, we landed in 1961. Hmm. You know, that's quite, quite a downward trend. And the thing is to, uh, you know, figure out how to protect the fish that are, that are still there. You can't just fish them they're gone and, and move on to something else nowadays. Seems like we're headed that way. Though, well, that's what we've always done. And, uh, you know, how to um, support the few fishermen that will be left so that they actually have a, a community and network that they can exist in. You can't just throw one fisherman out there and, you know, call that a fishery, you know. you got to have a uh, – it's an ecology, sort of a, an economic ecology, I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. So anyway. Well, the fishermen are taking control to some extent. There's the Port Clyde co-op going, yeah. going down there, which is getting to be quite famous, and I guess emulated, too, other places in the country. Yeah, we and talked to— Cutting uh, out the middleman, so to speak. We talked to Glenn Libby, uh, that same show down to Port Clyde, about uh, permit banking and stuff, and Glenn is quoted in here saying—or uh, actually it was another article, but saying— we can't do it the way we're doing now, and nobody's happy, especially me. So, you know, something's got to something's got to give. Hmm. Here's another interesting one: Marine Patrol uh, Major John Fetterman just retired the other day, and looking back on his career, he's uh, surprised how now it's a lot more about national security than it is about fisheries in, in some ways. But here's the the uh, quote I I like: uh, you know, these lobster wars have been going on for years, but as he says, last summer was as bad as they've ever seen it. And uh, you talk about 
the decline in the fishery of that uh, 60% since 1961 and, and all the, f- the pressure on the lobster fishery, which is, uh, again, dying to the southern of here. And, you know, the price is going up on bait and fuel and everything. There's a lot of pressure on those boys, you know. So anyway, what's bound to happen, I guess, is a good question. We got uh, two more little little items here. Here's an interesting one. that uh, um, They're going to shut off the Loran navigational system. Did you even know it was still running, Gavin? Yeah, I knew it was still running, but yeah. I didn't know they decided to shut it off. You haven't used it for a while. No, no. We no. haven't used it for a long while, actually. <laughs> but it's kind of nice to know it's there. Yeah. I mean, because you never know when... You know, somebody in Washington might choose to shut down the GPS for that's, military reasons that's or whatever. That's what people were talking about here, that uh, the government's going to shut it down. It says it's going to save them about $36 uh, million a year. Hmm. They've also been working on a new system called eLoran, which is more accurate. The Loran, not nearly as accurate as the GPS. And uh, this new eLoran system was thought up. They put a lot of development money into it. They've got it kind of half uh, um uh, figured out, funded, and built, and there's no word about whether they're going to kill that or not. And maybe that'll be the backup. But just what you said, uh, including our politicians, are saying that we need some backup to the GPS for national security reasons, but it's being shut down by the national security people. So there. <laughs> <laughs> they're in cahoots with the uh, sextant people, probably. Yeah, and on uh, February the 8th, the uh, uh, Loran system, which has been broadcasting since, what, the early 50s, late 40s, something like that, is uh, going to be gone, hmm. and it will just be the GPS. And I'm telling you what, uh, it's good to have a backup, Okay. Uh, we always bring handhelds when we do boat deliveries. We don't always trust the one, you know, if the mm-hmm. one on the boat stops working. A handheld GPS. Yeah. Yeah. And they have so democratized navigation, wouldn't you say? Hmm. Yeah, they have. They've made it, I was going to say idiot-proof, but that's silly. They've made it idiot-resistant, more <laughs> more idiot-resistant, you know. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure, that, you know, that's a particularly good thing. That would have been my point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I did hear, too, that the Europeans are coming up with their own GPS system, different satellites and everything Oh, really? Else. Uh, that was a fairly recent thing I just heard about. Huh. They're going to be independent from U.S.-sponsored satellite system, GPS, and they'll have their own. They're just supposed to be more accurate down to whatever, I don't know, inches or something like that. Do they the need one. do they need greater accuracy for their bombs? Uh, I think they just want to be separate from the US for I some see. reason. Wow. They, yeah. Hmm. So I don't know. But the uh, I, the first GPS or first uh, Loran that I used was A. Yeah. That sort of dates one. <clears throat> yeah. But it was kind of like Captain Video, you know, behind the oscilloscope. They're trying to figure all that out, yeah. like in the Navy days. But Barely that's... better than an RDF. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't the greatest, easiest system to use. And, no. and there was some uncertainty about your position after that. And oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. You're dealing with sky waves and the whole thing kind of sort of thing. So when Laurent C. came out, it was a great blessing. You know, you actually had TDs that you could plot on a chart without going, you know, straight off the scope. And so then they translated that into a latitude and longitude, which made it even easier for everybody. And then all of a sudden, here comes the GPS system, which uh, is certainly not idiot-proof. In fact, one does wonder if it actually creates a certain degree of idiocy. A new class of idiot. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> couldn't yeah, agree more. There's, you know, folks just are used to looking at the black box without yep. the alternative, which is one of the things that we try to teach with the Ocean Classroom students is what happens when you get unplugged. You know? Well, here's the thing with the uh, new GPS. With the old Loran or even the initial GPS, it gave you latitude and longitude. Then you take that to your paper chart and you plot it. And you put a little point on the chart and you see where you are. Well, nowadays, nobody does that too much anymore because uh, you have the video screen that shows you your position 
of the moment, and it changes. Uh, you can, you know, the screen will move across your boat, and uh, so you don't have to keep a dead reckoning. You don't have to pull out a position. And then when the thing stops working, uh, do you even remember any of that stuff? Yeah. Or, or what do you mean a stopwatch? I would use a stopwatch to navigate, you know, uh, time and distance sort of thing. Right. Well, you'd be lucky if you could remember it. That's the concern that maybe you don't have enough knowledge to remember it. You just didn't know in the first place. Yeah. If you're relying only on that, and you know, a first first time boat owner goes and gets his new boat and his new navigation system all installed, chart plotters, the whole works. And off you go, and it's all very neat and tidy. And you look there, and you can get the radar interfaces. And so, so you get a real sense of being where you are accurately at all times just by looking. You, know, you don't need the paper chart anymore, you know, that sort of thing. Just put the little little doodad into the machine every year. It you know, updates your charts and everything. It was a very handy thing until you get unplugged, until a wave lands on the set or the battery goes down. And then you do have to rely on the same things that we've been relying on for the last couple thousand years, really. Yeah. Know? But unless you you know that ahead of time, it's not the time to learn when the when yeah. <laughs> yeah. system goes down in the fog. I used to take all kinds of uh, different people on on uh, a boat. I used to captain, and uh, the thing I explained to everybody was you cannot drive this boat while you look at that screen like a video machine because people will tend to look at the navigation screen and try to steer the boat to influence the icon on the boat and drive it like that, but that's not that's <laughs> not really smart. And But that's a tendency, you know. Well, yeah. it's sort of a Pac-Man effect, I think, from a lot of the younger kids who are, are used to being able to look at a screen and, and make their uh, icon or whatever your, your object is. Yeah, and we were just talking work. about the cat going fast down, uh, you know, down the Delaware and Chesapeake a couple of times this summer delivering boats and... And we, uh, one Sunday afternoon, just fleets of cigarette boats uh, going by us 50, 60 knots, you know. Some of them wearing crash helmets and having walkie-talkies to talk to each other, and some of them just bare-chested with beers going, woo! (laughs) (laughs) And we're thinking we don't see a lot of those down here, and and I guess there's several good reasons. But one would be trying to navigate the the video screen and the rocks at 60 knots is, you know, um, (laughs) would be kind of different from bashing across the Delaware Bay, which is as flat and open and, you know. Even if you hit something, it's not a rock. So, One more note from the news here, and then we'll start talking to uh, Captain J.B. Smith about the Ocean Classroom Foundation. The Morris Company has won another kind of a great award, recognized for their, um, um, you know, just excellence in building boats. They have this uh, series of so-called day sailors uh, started with the 36th, and they built the 42. Now they got a 29 and a 52. The 29 has been... Nominated uh, for Boat of the Year this year by Cruising World Magazine, the 42 won in uh, 2007. The 52 was nominated as well, but then they decided that um, the nomination was a silly thing because here it's a 52-foot day sailor. There's nothing quite like it. 52-foot day sailor. I mean, yeah. come on now. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I deliver these things. I like them. So anyway, it's, it's a beautiful boat. So they put it in its own category and gave it a special award, the Bristol Award, very rarely um um, granted, and just for outstanding design and excellence and execution. And, uh, you know, the Morris Company is uh, doing good stuff there. The uh, 52, we are doing the um, boat talk cruise this spring, and we come out of Northeast Harbor in the fog and hear it come across our bow. That was the yeah, um, 52 number one. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, kind of like on a, uh, it was on the wind, and it was showing its bottom to us as it went across us on an angle and just come out of the fog and disappeared back into it again, you know. It was a pretty cool sight. So anyway, and you wanted to mention something about the Boat Talk Cruise, didn't you, Alan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to throw this question out to uh, anybody who would like to 
offer suggestions. The boat truck cruise in the past has always been on the last Saturday in June so that we could take advantage of the long days and have the cruise go from uh, approximately 6 until 9 in the evening and have some decent light for that. The problem with June is... Uh, Around here, you probably realize that the weather is frequently bad, and uh, the last two boat talk cruises have been fairly foggy. Didn't stop anybody from having a good time. No, we had boatloads both times. We didn't get lost or hit nothing. No, no, but the alternative is, is to have the boat talk cruise this year in September on a Saturday afternoon, make it more of a foliage cruise, and uh, but hopefully in September the weather will be better, and... Uh, well, that's just a good idea all by itself, and, and we've also mentioned the fact before that we've done this out of Northeast Harbor with uh, the Sea Princess and, and uh, Captain Andy and, and uh, his bro- uh, uh, James. James and Andy. Yeah. Uh, Alan, so, uh, and they're generous, uh, you know, uh, letting us the use C the Princess. boat. The Sea Princess, yes, not very nice of them to let yeah. us um, use that boat. You know, those are our friends down where we're more or less based uh Maybe there's a boat in Camden, Rockland, uh, Belfast, a different kind of harbor that uh, might like to offer itself up. Sure, and, I imagine you know, be foliage down in Camden at the same time too. I've heard they have trees that far south. Yes, <laughs> and and uh, you know, like I said, there's uh, a lot of possibilities for the thing. Yeah. So, give us a call one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight and discuss that or anything else you like, or you can contact us. Uh, through the Boat Talk website, which is boattalk.org. There's a contact us little. Uh, Click, click thing on the bottom right that you can uh, get in contact and give us your opinion that way, too. Well, let's get down to business this morning. Uh, Captain J.B. Smith's already been a pretty good guest so far. <laughs> so. Well, what were we here to talk about? What's, what, are we, uh, what are we on to this morning, Alan? Well, I was um, um, turned on to Captain Smith by another uh, Boat Talk listener friend of ours, Graham McKay, down at the Lowell Boat Shop in, in Boston. Graham's one of my favorite callers ever. Now, Graham gave us a call one time from Bristol, England, which I think wins the Distance Award. And he was over there uh, studying underwater archaeology. And uh, then he shows up uh, um, building boats at the Lowell uh, Boat Shop in Amesbury, Mass., which was founded in, like, 1792. Yeah. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, in operation continuously since, and, and we also find out he's a part-time captain of the Spirit of Massachusetts. So anyway, and, and this is all related. Yeah, and yeah. Captain Smith knows Graham fairly well, and he's got some more stories to tell upon him, too. Yeah. Whether they're all true or not, we'll find out. But well, Of course they're true. Oh, yeah. All sea stories are true, right? <laughs> yes. Just like fairy tales. And the organization we're talking about is called the Ocean Classroom Foundation. Can, can you describe what... What's that? Well, what do you do? it is the Ocean Classroom Foundation. It's uh, an organization which has been in business now for something like 15 or so years. Uh, the corporate headquarters, if you'd like to describe it that way, are located in Booth Bay Harbor. And um, we have three schooners, uh, very traditionally rigged schooners. Two are wood, one's steel. And they sail year-round with exclusively education programs. No dudes, just folks who are participants. So it's not a participate if you wish type of thing. It's participate because that's what you're here for. Yeah, you um, got to go to school, son. Sorry, you got to go to school, <laughs> right? Uh, so they they uh, operate year round. We uh, carry students uh, everything from junior high school age up through college age, occasionally adults as well, and um, they travel far and wide, many many thousands of miles each year. They follow the migrational patterns of the uh, seabirds or you know, or land birds, whichever kind of birds. I mean, they go south in the winter. 
and uh, head back up in the in the springs, and so they sail New England waters in the summer times, and mostly Caribbean waters in the winter times, and in between, well, up and down the coast. So our longest program is four months. That's a high school program, which is just about to get underway, actually. In early February, they cast off in Harvey Gamage, Schooner Harvey Gamage, uh, bound south from St. Thomas, which is where the boat is now. Bound uh, south from Bound St. south from St. Thomas, oh. yes. Uh, all along the uh, Eastern Caribbean chain down as far as Trinidad, that area, and then back up towards uh, their typical cruise plans up to uh, Dominican Republic. We used to go to Haiti all the time, but not lately. And then on west to the Western Caribbean, Honduras, Belize area, and then wrap it around Florida and back up the Eastern seaboard, ending up in, in uh, Boston in early June. That's a four-month program, about mm, typically uh, six or 7,000 miles, nautical miles, run, and uh, students on board there get a semester's worth of high school credit for that. It's uh, accredited through Proctor Academy in Andover, New Hampshire. So uh, that's our gold plate, uh, gold deluxe, whatever you want to call it, uh, fancy trip, the best one that we do in terms of length and the uh, impact on the student because they really do live the experience. And it goes all the way down to a day sales. We do some day sales too, but very few of those. Most of them are weak week to two weeks, three weeks, and we have a college program uh, just starting up to the University of Maine for, uh, for college students. It's about a 10-week, 11-week trip. Uh, that'll, that's going to be starting next spring, spring of 11. Uh, that, well, we're not sure which boat, but anyway, that's a, that starts off again down in St. Thomas and works its way back up, ending up someplace in Maine, of course, University of Maine. Hmm. So those are, um, those are kind of the, the area that we sail in. Our students... Uh, are selected throughout the countryside. We deal with everything from uh, local folks. Uh, we do a lot of programs through uh, the local high schools, everywhere from Booth Bay Regional to Camden to, to um, you know, out in California, all kind of faraway places too, but uh, for especially for the spring trip. Uh, and again, the, the same thing with the, uh, the college folks. They're all over the countryside. And then we also work with different organizations, a lot of Waldorf schools, the Outward Bound uh, program. We do a lot of programs with Outward Bound um, and a number of other different schools, inner city groups. Uh, this program is not intended for the country club set exclusively. We like, we don't have anything against country club. They can usually do full pay. We like full pay, but uh, <laughs> we also uh, have a very strong scholarship program too. So uh, the, uh, the economics is not the first reason that you come on board. And, you know, we generally can figure out a way for anybody who really needs and wants to be on board the boat uh, has an opportunity to sail, sail with us. So uh, we, are, we, we, are, we are very encouraging folks to contribute to the scholarship program. Right now the company contributes most of the scholarships ourselves. But the idea is to participate, uh, to learn the, uh, the way of the boat, uh, and these boats are throwbacks to a different period of time that general technology, at least on the wooden boats, is about mid-1800s to late-1800s. That's the technology in terms of the rig, in terms of the deck machinery. Of course, we have uh, auxiliary power, diesel power as well, uh, and navigation equipment, which brings us up to the modern times. But when you're working the rig, when you're working the sails, uh, you're, you're, not, you're, you're captain's courageous. You know, you're right back there mm -hmm. in the good old days. Hand over hand, uh, we like it that way. Uh, we um, we purchased uh, our steel boat called Westward, um, not uh, well a few years back, and uh, one of the jobs with that boat was to make it more difficult to sail. 
It, it was much too efficient. <laughs> it had too many winches on it, you know, hand cranked winches, and there's a, we, this is just not hard enough. We have to make it harder so our students have something to do. You know, you can't just stand around when you come around to, you know, ready about. You got to get moving. You got to do things. Just don't watch it happen. You, so we engage anywhere. We typical number of about 20 students on board, uh, around eight uh, crew, professional crew, and then one to three educators. So we have quite a group of folks to put to work when we're doing all hands evolutions. And so we need it to be complicated. We like hands-on activities, block, tackle, that sort of thing. Uh, when you get the anchor up, it takes a whole watch, at least on the wooden boats it does, to do that. It's a hand-powered windlass. You know, the technology goes back about mid-1800s, mid maybe a little bit before that, so forth and so on. A lot of hand-on work. It's reliable technology as long as you have labor to, to put into it, though, isn't it? That's what we have. We have labor. We, yeah. have engage, we want to engage that labor. And uh, through that, you, you see the fruits of your labor very directly. Or if you're not working as a team, if one person is trying to do it all by themselves, well, they don't succeed. Uh, so it's a team effort. That's what we try to promote is the whole team aspect of things. So these high school students um, get credit for a semester at their original high school? That's this correct, also too? yeah. A credit is through the Proctor uh, Academy there in, in Andover. Mm -hmm. they, they bless our our system, our, uh, the academic aspect of it. See, our students are in, in class. They'll take classes ashore and at sea, weather permitting, uh, sit down classes with a you know, blackboard, so to speak, whiteboard, yeah. whatever, right there and uh, gather up on deck and dodging the spray as the waves <laughs> kind of, or being distracted by porpoises or, you know, they, mm -hmm. those porpoises just really break up a class when they come in. <laughs> but, uh, Nonetheless, uh, academic class is quite demanding, actually. I think uh, it's far more demanding, really, for our high school students, college students, because, for one thing, they have no computers. They have no uh -huh. technology. And they're writing a paper. They are writing a paper, you know, with a pencil. You a took pen. their laptops away <laughs> when they come on board. That's cruel, Cap. Well, they check all sorts of things at the door when they come on board. Do no they electronics, no iPods, no cell phones. You know, they, uh, they're unplugged. As well, like what kind of hell ship are you running there? <laughs> well, for some of them, it is a bit of a hell ship to uh, be separated from one's iPod. You know? Which, uh, I'm assuming the flat screen TVs in the, in the big cabin where everybody eats or something, right? Mm, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? No, <laughs> uh, we don't do much of that either. No, there's My no flat God. screen TVs. Well, let's, let's just think, uh, Captain Smith here, that we're, let's say I'm a high school kid and I've been chosen for this program now. I'm at home. I know I've never been uh, out to sea on a schooner and... You guys are going to send me a list of gear that I need, probably. That's correct, yeah. Yep, and I'm going to have to uh, assemble all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, nautical uh, items of clothing and stuff and, and keep myself warm and dry. And so I get down to the boat, and, um, you know, I meet the boat somewhere. I'm going to board the boat and meet a lot of strange people just like me that I don't know, right? By, by and large, we do sometimes, they, uh, people do know each other. They're coming from a, a school or something like that. But what they don't know is, is the boat and the crew and uh, and anything about it, really. So yeah. everybody starts off at the same level. That's one of the things I like about this. It's a great leveling agent. When we look at the uh, experiential side of it, like, well, it would be the same thing for me to go on a mountain trekking expedition or something like that. You know, you have different gear. You have different uh, challenges. When our people come on board, uh, they could be the high school jock, you know, captain of the football team or the chief cheerleader or whatever, you know, the prom queen. It doesn't make any difference, or you could, or you could be, uh, you know, the the person who's, uh, you know, the water boy, so to speak. Uh, the water boy sometimes does better than the football captain because, hey, the challenge is very different. 
And if you're seasick uh, or something like of that sort, uh, you're not, you know, as, as capable, shall we say, as, as another person, no matter what your physique, your mentality, or anything else. It's a uh, great leveling agent. Everybody yeah. starts afresh. Seasick. We, we can get to seasick. Um, so yeah. anyway, you've got to well, uh, orient we, we these have, people. We have phone, phone rang. The yeah. phone, can yeah. we? Yeah, yeah let's, let's see, see if it works here. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey there, Cappy. Yeah. It's Graham. Oh, oh it would be Graham shop. McKay, of course. We were saying you might boys down here. <laughs> Where are you this morning, Graham? What are you working at? I'm at Lowe's. Uh-huh, and we're building the dory today? We are building An- the dory, dory today. Another dory? A silly dory, as Cappy likes to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. This, is, uh, this is the shop that's next to uh, the Constitution? No, no, that's, uh, that's a different, that's a uh, satellite we're shop in a, we have. Uh, I'm in Amesbury. Amesbury, Massachusetts, yeah, and Lowell's Boat Shop, we were mentioning you earlier, been in uh, operation since, what, 1792? 1793. Yeah, well, you know. Since uh, and, Washington uh, was ruling the, ruling the country. How's, bu- how's business in 2010? Uh, it's not too bad, actually. There are boats to be built. I'm busy at least until the summer and uh, maybe beyond. Excellent. So that's uh, probably better than most people in uh, in this industry. Yeah. When you say I, how many people you got in the shop there, Graham? <laughs> uh, it's really just me. There's one other fellow who does the painting, which uh, I welcome. But other than that, he's here two days a week, and other than that, it's me. Interesting. So yeah. I'm I'm taking visitors and doing the whole thing, but... This is about Kathy Smith. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, didn't, yeah. They, they, didn't the uh, Lowell's Bush Boat Shop get an award recently, too? Or or a uh, special grant or something? We did. We got a grant for uh, basically building upkeep. We got an $86,000 grant, which we used to paint the uh, paint the outside, get a new roof, do some building, Yeah. general building upkeep. Well, it's quite a shop. I went there and visited with Graham one time there, and it's uh, it really is amazing to see if there anybody has an opportunity to go down there in Amesbury to see it. Probably Graham would be there to show them around. I don't know. I'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be that hard to find. The interstate goes right through Amesbury, I recommend. I, I recollect. They both right. do. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Graham, besides building dories, you're also a uh, licensed captain, I take it, and, and uh, you know, uh, hooked up with these Ocean Classroom Foundation people too, aren't you? Yeah, I've been with them. Uh, they, they bought me when they bought the Spirit of Massachusetts <laughs> 12 years ago or whatever it is. It's been a long time. But, um, yeah, no, I was calling to say that uh, a, a demonstration of Cappy's seamanship at the end of, uh, what was it, 2008, I think, the high school trip, to, uh, you know, just to demonstrate how these high school kids really do take charge of the ship. I believe he, with obviously their assistance, sailed the gamage from, what was it, Harbor Refuge there, Cap, at uh, Delaware Bay? Oh, yeah, we mean when the engine went out. Yeah. yeah, we were exiting the Delaware Bay when the engine literally, uh, well, it it was no more. It stopped, and uh, it was never to run again, as we were actually bound for, at that point, New York, I believe, yeah. on the end of our four-month trip, towards the end of the four-month trip. Yeah. Well, he, he sailed it right up into uh, through the Hurricane Gate in New Bedford and pretty much onto the dock, if I recall. Well, we didn't have too much choice. We didn't have, <laughs> <laughs> we did have sails, but we kind of waited, you know, that's true. We did, well, the engine was gone, so uh, the uh, we we anchored up in the mouth of uh, just off of New Bedford and Buzzards Bay there uh, that night. We were sailing in, and uh, the wind, of course, was foul, coming right down uh, the river there, Cushnet River. And uh, but then it looked like it was going to go fair, and we waited and waited for the tide, and wait, and the wind did go just fair enough, and we did get up through, and got through the hurricane gates, and got her tied up. We had uh, we had our small boats out to help us get along through there. And um, 
And then later on, I was told the Coast Guard came down, and when these things happened with, like, engines ceasing to function, the Coast Guard's interested, and uh, I did get a little bit of a slap on the wrist by the Coast Guard. Well, you should have let us know that you were sailing through there. We would have been there to help you out. It didn't even cross my mind. We didn't need any help. Why would we need the Coast Guard there to help? So yeah. I wasn't going to mention that part. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah. good example of, uh, like saying, this is old 1800s technology hit there. And in the old days, those boys waited for their chance. The tide was very important, which way it was running. And they didn't, you know, uh, have the license to turn on the diesel and, and just get going. They used tugboats as much as possible um, back in the old days. But they would wait and wait and wait a chance. Just reading about a story where there was a uh, hundred schooners, uh, you know, uh, uh, laid up somewhere, waiting a chance to get east around Cape Cod. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, you try to try to line the stars. The, the. You know, you don't want to go against nature any more than you have to. Nature's going to be out there and going against you enough as it is. So you, you do have to be more patient. And that is again one of the things any sailing vessel will teach you. I, I think most any sailing vessel, maybe not some of the racers, but. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in some of the details of uh, how you, as you said, you made it through the gate and then tied up. Now, there is a, must have been a lot of uh, calculation between after you made it through the gate and getting to where you want to tie up, but such as uh, taking down what sails you needed to take down so you're slowing down to the right speed and figuring out what your arc was going to be to come around. Why don't you describe that? How, how oh, you, could, I, could I interject <laughs> for just a minute? Let's, let's say we're in a parking lot and you're going to park your car, okay? You like to use your brakes, okay? <laughs> now on the boat, the engine, throw it into reverse, there's your brake, right? So you you got no brakes, yeah. so to speak. You got your sails and you got that. So right. tell us how you done that. Well, we Adam. do. Is, is the one thing that we do frequently, as Graham will attest, is we like to sail our boats anyway. I mean, whether you have to or not, yes, we do have the engine, but it is an auxiliary engine. When you talk about auxiliary sailing vessels, uh, the sails are not auxiliary. It's the engine that's auxiliary. The mm -hmm. primary power is in the sails. So, uh, and and our students are participants. They're essentially apprentice crew. So, this is these the folks who are more than this this time we're talking about have been on board about three months. They only sailed about five thousand miles at that point, maybe more something. Anyway, they were very familiar with the operation of the boat. So we could rely on our crew, our students to do what needed to be done when it was requested. So there wasn't going to be that thing. We had been sailing on and off anchorages, on and off docks, uh, tacking all over the place, you know, all different kinds of sail maneuvers for a long time. So people were familiar with the operation of boats. That's what we do anyway, whether it's students on board for a day or for four months. We sail the boats. So, and, the, and some people say, so that doesn't sound very efficient. It takes a lot longer to uh, sail off an anchor rather than just get underway with the power and go motoring off, setting your sails as you motor down the bay, and then, well, maybe eventually, if the wind's right, you just shut the engine off and go sailing, rather than go through all the process of, of getting underway under sail or coming in under sail, something like that. But then there's always that same thing. It goes back, kind of like the navigation thing we were talking about. What happens when the somebody pulls the plug? Well, in this case, the engine was pulled, so to speak, so we didn't have the option. Was it a problem? Well, it was a concern, yes, but it wasn't really a problem. Uh, your concerns are heightened when that sort of thing happens because you don't have that instant backup. You don't have the brakes, but you just do what you were doing anyway. I mean, before, you, know, you, you use the wind, uh, running into the wind, right into the wind, you know, luffing up. Now that's a brake, right? Yep. Uh, you know where the current's coming from, run into the current, that's another brake. Yep. 
And you always have the anchor. That's your emergency bright. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can let go of that anchor, and you can stop pretty quick, you know, if the, if the bottom's there. Of course, you're around the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Some, it's all but, conditionally sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah. The thing coming into New Bedford, of course, there's a lot of the shipping. That was what the Coast Guard was concerned about, some big fishing It's a very, very busy harbor. Right, yeah. A lot of fishing boats going in and out of there, heavy that, traffic. Going through that gate, the hurricane gate there in the Cushnet River coming into New Bedford is maybe 50 feet. Maybe it's a little bit more, 60, 70 feet uh, of uh, clearance. And our boats are 24-foot beam. So that's starting to, we're talking about maybe 15 feet on either side, 20 feet on either side when you're going right through the middle. So there's not really room for a big fishing boat to come through when you're trying to sail through at the same time. Uh, but we would, we have our small boats. We have a, we had a fellow uh, in a, one of the small crew in the small boat on the other side of the gate looking for anybody coming our way because you can't really see sometimes you know these fish boats could kind of hot dog it out of port sometimes too and get some way on so uh, there was the we had a an emissary up on the other side of the gate there to to ward off or warn anybody if they weren't listening to the radio which is often the case uh, we were putting out safety alerts and so forth coming in that time too in other words the idea is that you uh, you try to see all the different uh, contingencies that you have control over you know um Whatever the wind's doing, uh, well, you have a certain control of the way you set your sails. You know, you have control over the radio. You have control over putting people in small boats going out there and alerting the public at large in case they're not being alerted on their own as to what's going on. And then when you finally come into uh, to the dock and so forth, you 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 go slow. Uh, you know, a slow docking covers a multitude of sins. I think is one of the maxims there. And um, you, know, you don't want to come in hot, particularly. So. Uh, and it all worked out just fine. You know, there really was no problem. So, um, yeah, that was one one occasion that we had. And it, and our students felt pretty good about that afterwards, too, you know. And uh, we have a little wrap-up session after. This is what we did that was right. This is what we were concerned about. It's a learning experience for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and um, it worked. And that's just yet another demonstration of the sort of thing that our students expect. That was a little bit more dramatic because we didn't have the backup. But... Like I say, oftentimes we'll do this without the engine, using the engine, even though we know it's there. So it's it's all part of the program. You know, we were unplugged that time, so that was good. Nicely done, Cappy. We're doing uh, kind of an Internet version of Boat Talk this morning. The transmitter uh, got froze up somehow on the mountain. Jack um, Frost. Yeah, and we've got uh, Captain J.B. Smith here from the Ocean Classroom Foundation and uh, Captain Graham down to the Lowell's Boat Shop down to Amesbury, Mass. on the telephone right now. What kind of boat's uh, Spirit of Massachusetts exactly, Graham? What kind of boat is she? Yeah. Uh, she's a replica of a Gloucester fishing schooner, Fredonia style. Okay. Doesn't she have like a crossed yard, too? Doesn't she have a square sole somewhere on her? No, I think you're uh, thinking of the westward. Yeah, it might be. Okay. And you've been uh, sailing on that boat for quite a while. I have. She was uh, she was my first little girl, if, uh, for lack of a better word. And now with the Ocean Classroom Foundation stuff, has uh, what goes on on the boat changed? I mean, now you're doing educational stuff, um, different kinds of trips for you? Uh, no, surprisingly, little has changed. I mean, why change a good thing? When I was young, I mean, I went on as a, as a student, and actually most, I would say, Cappy, you can attest to this, most of our crew is uh, their former students. You know, a lot of them get bitten by the bug, so to speak, and then... Um, <laughs> And then come back and want to come back. In fact, I have. Uh, do you remember young Blythe Cap? She's here in the shop with me today. Oh my goodness! <laughs> she's <laughs> our she's our intern. 
Oh, really? Uh, he's he's an applicant as a crew member. He sailed uh, two, two uh, springs ago as one of our high school students mm. and uh, is an applicant to sail with us this summer as a deckhand. So I was one of, uh, one of those youngins who went aboard for, I guess, repeatedly for, for a little uh, week-long trips here and there. and Never really got over it. Never got over it. Luckily, I have a, a lifestyle that allows me to still do it, although, you know, as you get older, it gets more difficult. But uh, I still try to try to make as much time for that as possible because it even two weeks in the summer or you know a month in the summer really makes the year a better better year all around. I call it church out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I, that's that's uh, what I call it anyway. Um. All right. Um. Your students. If, um, who may be listening to this show for the first time and didn't realize this was going on, why don't you get some information on how somebody yeah. who would be interested in this, what they should do to go through? Very good point. I'm glad <laughs> you opened up that one because uh, we are always looking for more students. We, uh, we have uh, these three vessels, and um, like I say, each one can carry 20 or more students at a time. And uh, when you think of all the different programs we do, everything from the day sales to the week sales, you know, the four month, whatever, there's a lot of folks that uh, have the opportunity to cross our decks. And, um, and of course, this is how we survive economically, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, the boats basically live on what the students can bring to it. Uh, we also hope that uh, we can get donations from the public at large, interested parties and so forth, to pay for the capital expenses of boatyards, shipyards. Uh, which are a, quite a large item. Uh, our, our vessels are a bit on the older side, so uh, they require a lot of maintenance. But um, student-wise, yes, uh, we do have an 800 number. So uh, the 800 number is 1-800-724-SAIL. That's 1-800-724-7245, which is SAIL. SAIL, not S-A-L-E. No, not S-A-L-E. S-A-I-L. S-A-I-L, of course, 1-800-724-SAIL. But yeah, if they call that number, they can find all the different opportunities. We, in fact, still have some space available for this big trip, the four-month one, coming up this, well, in about three weeks, I think. They show up If I were a high school student, I think nothing could be better than having to go to school. Having to go to school on a boat while you're sailing at the same time would be... Yeah. About as good as it can get. Well, it's very challenging. Uh, it sounds like so many things, you know. It, uh, many of our students, uh, uh, you know, if you're sitting home uh, looking at the ice falling off the roof or something right now, sailing down the Caribbean, it doesn't sound too bad. It sounds quite good. It sounds good to me, too. Yeah. And that's why I do it all the time. But, of course, everything is not all rosy all the time either. You, know? you might be offshore one night out of your bubble, cold and seasick. Oh, yes. You know, and on watch anyway. And on watch anyway, yeah. yeah. yeah we stand uh, four-hour watches. It's, uh, crew students are brought down into three sections. So uh, at any time, somebody is always on watch. And uh, that includes uh, the middle of the night when you got a paper due the next morning, too. You know, you got to still stay in your watch. you got to do your duty. So our students learn all about that. But, um, yeah, we have room for, and again, high school, we do summertime programs. Uh, there's a, we call it seafaring camp where you can come on board for a week or two. You just get the flavor. A lot of people do that first, and they end up coming on uh, as a, um, you know, a, a regular high school student or even do that and then go into one of the college programs, too. They just can't get enough of it, that type of thing. 
But, um, yeah, that, that phone number is a good one to call or stop by the office there in Booth Bay Harbor, too. Yep, and your website. And Boy, we have a good website, yeah, oceanclassroom.org. You can uh, check that one out. and It gives you all sorts of information, a lot of good photographs, too, yeah. there. Uh, so you can get a real feel for it. Let's take a slightly different tack here for a second. Uh, JB or Graham, either one of you fellows know uh, uh, somebody called Hamilton Moore? Oh, yes. <laughs> Hamilton Moore sent us an email this morning, and again, we're kind of knocked off the air uh, transmitter-wise here doing boat talk, but he sent an uh, email this morning that says, Could you please ask Captain Smith about proper captonial footwear? Thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, well. What are we uh, on to here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clear the line here in case any other uh, friends want to call in. Thanks, right. well, thanks very much, Graham. Thank you, yeah, good Graham. talking to you guys. Yeah. Talk to you later. Anytime, man. <laughs> Well, Hamilton Moore, he was one of our educators uh, on board. We have, as I say, we have folks who come sailing with us, as well as a crew member, crew member slash educator. Uh, the educators uh, help us out with uh, organizing the students, making sure that they, whether it's a short trip or a long trip, um, uh, learn their, their ropes, literally, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a lot of the, uh, the other academic topics that we bring forth. Uh, so Ham sail, sail was, he was, in fact, in charge of the whole education program for a while, the Ocean Classroom Foundation, hiring other educators and organizing the programs and that type of thing. Gone on a great fame and glory as a captain of Schooner Brilliant out of Mystic. So, uh, nice. yes, that's where he is presently now. And, of course, doing educational programs with Schooner Brilliant. Um, but what he's referring to is, <laughs> is uh, a certain thing that uh, promulgate and uh, footwear that he is referring to is... Uh, called are called jellies, and uh, I have no shame about this sort of thing. Uh, you have, they're plastic sandals, basically, uh, which you formerly could find down in the island of Dominica. Uh, we had uh, there was a little factory down there employed about thirty Dominicans making these sandals, and you could get them in Dominica and other different islands around about. Very comfortable, I found, and different choice of colors. Uh, the most Flamboyant being liberation colors. Oh, you're, you have a reggae station here. I know that you, WRU yeah, has yes, a lot of reggae music. Yeah. Well, and these green, fit right into it. Oh, yeah. yes. Without the black, just the green, yellow, and red. Or the yellow, you know, yes, yeah. Left out the black part. Yeah. So I would have, this, these were one of my Cheap and comfy and functional. Exactly so, and that is exactly what I'd. And they can get wet and dry again. They're very important can't on a boat. can't tell whether they're wet or dry. They're yeah. always the same. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and yeah. you're not quite barefoot either, and, and no. you know, Captain, I don't know, got to lead by some example, you know. Well, some kind of example. <laughs> but, well, now and then we would get our entire student body outfitted in these particular. It was quite the sight when the, all everybody was, those liberations were coming across the rail. It was quite quite colorful. Yeah. Bunch of jelly folks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, we have uh, Captain J.B. Smith uh, sitting with us this morning doing the uh, Internet version of Boat Talk. Uh, we did give the phone number a couple of times. We're running out of time here uh, about... Five, uh, six more minutes, seven minutes, whatever. One eight six six, six two five nine three seven eight. The phone keeps ringing there, but I'm not sure if anybody, is anybody there or not. Alan, no, no, you got a better view than I do. Yeah, no, no, we're we're free to go. One eight hundred six eight. Excuse me. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. These um, educational uh, component of this thing here are the kids doing uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Oh yeah, yeah, I would assume some some maritime based special, right? They, units uh, as well, I'd hope. 
The uh, the longer programs are more academic uh, in terms of teaching. Uh, the thing that's unique, I think, about our program is that everything that we teach is relevant to their everyday experience. That I mean, everyday. Like today, we are um, approaching um, the island of Dominica. So well, back to Dominica. So now we're the maritime history section is studying Caribbean history and as it relates to Dominica, the uh, the science part is talking about rainforests or coral reefs or, or whatever, the sociology of, of what it was like you know, and how the, the folks there in Dominica got to be the way they are now, the local food, what, what kind of food mm. is available is unique to this particular vicinity. But... Um, uh, so all of our, our, our academic classes are tuned in that way. The seamanship and navigation is, is pretty straightforward. I mean, here we are sailing this schooner, and here we are trying to navigate this schooner. So how do we go about doing that? And uh, I, like I've mentioned before, we I feel anyway that there's an, enough of an emphasis on technology as it is. You can't hardly escape it. So what there isn't enough emphasis on is the, the original piloting skills that uh, people should have as a background mm-hmm. to anything that they bring in now through the technological aspect. Now, there's the fallback, the uh, good old-time fallback uh, mode. So that involves uh, piloting skills right out of Chapman's or whatever book you yeah. might want to use. It's been in place ever since uh, you know, Vasco da Gama or <laughs> folks beyond that. And that includes celestial navigation. We All of our folks go right up through a course in celestial navigation. So there's so, your math right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's all very practical is is what our studies are. You're doing it because you're living it, basically. Mm -hmm. It's not as theoretical as some courses of study might be. I I imagine most of these students make some pretty uh, large changes in their life in in that four-month period, you know, just learning camaraderie with people that you don't know before and getting the the real feel for what science and math are are like out there. can you give an example or two of some of the students who have uh, benefited and gone on probably to more seamanship oh, after yeah. this? Oh, they, Besides Graham, the, who well, we just Graham, talked we to, and Blythe, who was uh, <laughs> trying to get more time and yeah. get paid for it yeah, now. Right there in the boat shop. I yeah. could think I could hear her hammering around the background. But, uh, yeah, we have a lot of success stories that way, former students who become professional crew. But we've also put a lot of folks in Maine Maritime Academy, too. There's quite oh, a few excellent. of our students who've yeah. moved yeah. into that who would not have done so otherwise. They get the bitten by the bug. There's, I think right now there's five or six in, at uh, the academy from Ocean Classroom, and we employ a lot of uh, folks out of Maine Maritime on board the boats as well. Yeah. We get it on both sides. We have several employees right now that are working with us. Yeah. Out of Maine yeah. Well, as an aside, we're going to be talking with Len Tyler, the uh, now retiring president of Maine Maritime Academy. He's going to be on our show in May. So we'll hmm. probably uh, bring this subject up again at, th- at that show. And this all reflects what I, I call the basic boat talk question is, is uh, you know, what happened to you? Uh, you know, it made you kind of silly around boats, you know. And, and again, you have uh, an experience. And who knows what sticks with a kid. But, I mean, uh, whether, you know, who knows. I mean, you can't fail to make a four-month trip stick on a kid. I don't care what. But uh, like I said, uh, poor kids, scarred for life, you know, right there. Oh, yeah. We like to say we ruin their, their life. We yeah, do ru- derail a few folks from the uh, mainstream. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, intellectually, it's one thing to study the history of the Caribbean or, or what they eat and, and about the ecology and stuff. But it's quite different to do that in, in January in a main, you know, oil-heated school or on the deck of a schooner looking at the, you know, 
the actual it's uh, being in a place is just uh, so much uh, more broadening experience. Oh, that's uh, absolutely true, yeah. of course. And being part of a crew, you know, part of a team. Yeah. I mean, the, the boat travels from island to island. You learn a lot about those places. But you're traveling as a unit and a unit which is dedicated to making it all happen through your own best efforts. Yeah. Um, and that's what it comes down to. Our, our student crews come together. And that sense of camaraderie is another thing, one of the big things they take away from it. On a good boat trip, because, uh, you know, we won't get into the subject of mutiny or anything, but the, uh, the, uh, on a good boat trip, the uh, bonding, uh, you know, opportunities are just incredible because you've shared something with somebody that nobody else on the planet, uh, you know. I mean, other people taking different trips, but nobody took that one besides you. And, and that's, uh, as they say on the advertisements, they're priceless, really, isn't it? It's true. You know? And each one's unique, just like you pointed out. Yeah. I've done, I've, I've lost track how many I've done, but each, each one is unique. Yeah. Because you have neat, unique oh, yeah. people, you have unique weather conditions, you go to unique places. Yeah. Each one's different. Check out the uh, oceanclassroom.org website, and I found some, uh, there's, uh, the kids have written a bunch of blogs, mm. you know, about oh, their yeah. experiences. I really enjoyed that, about, you know, how time passes on a boat, what a night watch is, is like, and uh, I thought that was great stuff, because, again, these kids are, are out of their little, tiny little, uh, safe little, you know, American, you know, modern cocoon there, and, and uh what a beautiful thing to do to a kid. <laughs> oh, that's right. And all those, you, those stories aren't always, uh, you know, glossed over either. They're, they're straightforward. I mean, they tell it like it is. Yeah. It can be uncomfortable and yeah. hard. And once again, we've been talking to Captain J.B. Smith this morning of the Ocean Classroom Foundation, oceanclassroom.org. they got a boat leaving in a couple weeks. they got space if you're interested. Anyway, uh, an Internet version of Boat Talk this morning. We thank everybody for helping and uh you know we do this the second tuesday of the month oh uh, you got somebody lined up for next month no i can't wait to see what happens <laughs> perhaps we'll think of something <laughs> we always do yep remember boattalk.org if you want to contact us too with any other ideas thanks captain smith for joining thank you. us and stay tuned i believe on the wing will be uh making some music next Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island. Redfernboat.com What are your thoughts and feelings about what's going on in the community, the state, the nation, and the world? What information and commentary would you like to share with other listeners over the public airwaves? This Friday morning at 10, WERU wants to hear from you on the Community Radio Soapbox, a call-in program that's all about what listeners have to say to the community, with WERU acting as microphone and moderator in a community listening session. Take a turn on the soapbox talking about the issues that you think are most relevant and urgent. That's this Friday morning at 10 on Community Radio WERU-FM, a voice of many voices, especially...